All right. I'm good. All right. Good to see you. All right, guys. That was longer than two minutes, but that's all right. First night, trying to get everything going, getting all everything squared away. Uh, hey, I wanted to make sure that uh, we're going to do the books afterwards, but I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, two guys who I really appreciate, and I know a lot of you do as well, two guys that are always faithful and consistent in this study that uh, I just uh, have a lot of respect for. Uh, I want to make sure they get books. And one of them is Paul Lanier back here. Paul's the guy that brings his own lazy boy chair. So, Paul, here's one for you. Here you go, man. Good to have you, as always. And Lance. Oh, Lance is back here. Here you go, Lance. Good to see you, man. What's his, what's his Volkswagen you're driving here? <laughs> you like it? Yeah, I like it. I'll be in one of those before real long, I'll tell you. You're hanging in there. You're just having some bone issues, I understand. All right. Well, we'll keep you in our prayers. And glad you're here. Thanks for making the effort to come over there. I don't know how you get that on 635. That's what just amazes me. So anyway, I feel like Phil Donahue out here. I mean, <laughs> I just need a mic and, Huh? That's better than feeling like Oprah, don't you think? <clears throat> That's right. What's that? I give away books and she gives cars. Is that what you said? <laughs> well, hey, man. Look at it. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah, I, I give away matchbox cars. I, I'll give those away, but that's, that's about it. Let's pray, guys. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the summer. Uh, we thank you for the seasons and uh, even the seasons of life. Uh, you are in charge of all those. You put those together. You oversee our lives in, in every season of life. And each day, the scriptures tell us, Jeremiah said in, in Lamentations chapter 3, that uh, your mercies are new every morning. And every morning, we need new mercies. We, we look over our lives, and you've been so good to us and so kind to us and so merciful to us. We could all uh, write multi-volume books about your mercies. But as thankful as we are for all of those mercies and for all of those kindnesses and for all of those goodnesses that we have received, quite frankly, Lord, uh, we need new ones. We can't live off the old ones. And, and you have promised to us and you have said to us that I'll give you new mercies every day. Every day. What an amazing thing. Uh, you, you, you send what we need before we need it. It's on its way. And, and we are so thankful and we, we are so grateful. We, we pray tonight as we kick back in that you will make this um, meaningful for us in, in, in terms of the way that your spirit might apply it to, to our lives. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're different guys, uh, different stuff going on, and you know that. We, we trust you, Lord, to take your truth, which is living and active, and hone it in right where we need it. Some of us desperately, desperately need encouragement, desperately. 
Uh, we've got guys in here that are tired. They're, they're just flat, worn out. Uh, we get weary sometimes on the journey. There are particular stretches that are, uh, that are difficult and extremely taxing. Uh, others of us, Lord, just, um, we just need to be reminded of some things. We, we want to follow you. We want to follow you on the right path. There's so much in this world that would invite us to drift. Uh, and it's so subtle. Some of it's blatant. Most of it is subtle. So line us up tonight. Help us to recalibrate with your word and with your truth. Give us stuff that we can use this week and bring it back to us this week at, at the absolute moment that we need it. We'll trust you to do that. We've seen you do it 100,000 times. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> it was Billy Sunday, the great evangelist of, oh, almost 100 years ago now. Billy Sunday once said this, Billy Sunday said that a sinner can repent, but stupid is forever. Now, that's an interesting statement. Um, the fact of the matter is, we've all been stupid. Uh, how many times have you done this? How many times have I done this? We have said something, and then we just, we just say to ourselves, how could I have been so stupid. Or we do something. And, we and later we just kick ourselves. I mean, we just, we are dying. Because we can't believe we could have been that stupid. Now, stupid is something that we're all afflicted with. It, it, it is something that we have a propensity for. It is, is stupid. And we've all done it. But hopefully... You see, when stupid occurs, we can repent of the stupid. We can turn from the stupid. We, we can say, Lord, help me to learn from that. See, a sinner can repent, but stupid is forever. The guy who never says, I screwed up. The guy who never says, I shouldn't have said that. The guy who's never man enough to admit to his family or to a close friend that he was wrong, that's stupid. And you'll never get anywhere in life. We're not interested in pursuing that kind of life. What I want to do this um, uh, quarter as we launch out tonight, I, I, I want to do a series. And I, I've been trying to come up with a title for this series. And here's what I've come up with. Uh, I'm going to call it Snapshots of Stupid. <laughs> because in Scripture... We have snapshots of men who at critical periods in their life were stupid. Now, here's the thing. They knew better. They knew full well what they were doing. But they were stupid. Now, I have to tell you, as we approach this, uh, I'm not approaching this as, as someone who is above this. Uh, I'm approaching this as, as someone who is uh, just amazed at my own personal ability to be stupid. But I'm trying to get over it. Therefore, I want to learn from some of these guys. The, uh, 
theme verse. Every week, the verse that I want to plaster over our study, it's sort of our umbrella verse, is going to be 1 Timothy 4.16. You might want to turn there because we're, we're, we'll refer to this almost every week. It's, it's kind of our launching pad, 1 Timothy 4.16, where Paul, as he is coaching young Timothy, <clears throat> as he is mentoring young Timothy, as he is giving him direction to, uh, this guy's a young pastor, He's kind of in over his head, quite frankly. Timothy was kind of a, a timid guy, not a, a real confident guy, was, was, was very fearful, but was in some very, very difficult situations and faced uh, a lot of responsibility and had to take on some very, very difficult issues. And in giving him direction, this, this wise man, this, this man who had been down the tracks, Paul, this man who had miles uh, on his tires. This man who had suffered greatly for Christ and was, uh, uh, was, was being poured out, he said, as a drink offering. Uh, he coaches young Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says something that is absolutely profound to Timothy. He says this. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Some translations say... Uh, Watch over your life carefully and your doctrine. There are things in our lives that we pay very close attention to. Uh, there are a lot of things in life that we have to pay close attention to. Uh, if there were just one or two things, that would really be good. But that's not how life is. Life is full of things that we have to watch carefully. We've got to watch our finances. We've got to watch uh, our investments. We've got to watch our health. We've got to watch our weight. We've got to watch our marriages. We've got to watch our, our kids. We've got to watch our careers. We're always, <clears throat> if you remember, some of you guys are old enough to remember on the Ed Sullivan Show. Some of you liberal guys who didn't go to church on Sunday nights. <laughs> Just thought I'd put that in there and turn the knife. It's an old joke. The, Ed Sullivan on Sunday nights... You know, he had this variety show. Ed Sullivan was a guy who had no talent, but he always had people on his show who did have talent. And you never knew who was going to be on there. But there was one guy that was on there from time to time that was just mesmerizing to me, watching it as a kid. This was a guy that would spin plates. You remember this guy? This guy was one of a kind. And he made a career out of this. He milked this for all it was worth. And, and there'd be a long table and... And what this guy would do is that he would take, they almost look like pool cues. They weren't, but he would get these, he would get these things, and then he'd put a plate, a dinner plate on it, and get that sucker spinning. He'd get it spinning, and then he'd have this table, and he had a holder, and he'd put that cue, he'd get that sucker just, just spinning and set it down. Then he'd go to the next one and get that going. And he must have had, I, mean, I don't know how many, I never counted, he must have had 15. He might have had 20 of those things. And you're watching this guy, and he's getting, they got the music going. I think it was a Beatles song or something. He's got these plates going. And you're watching the guy. And what he's trying to do is get to the end and have them all going. And you're watching him, and he gets down about number nine, and you got a wide-angle shot. And as he's getting to number nine, number one is starting to lose it. And you're wondering, I don't know. And then he gets over to 10, and he takes a quick look, and he goes on to 11. Well, you're watching one, because one is just 
One is ready to go over. One has iron efficiency anemia. It's just ready to clap. And, and, you're, you're and then he starts to go to the next one. He's got three more. There's no, and then he, before he goes to the next one, he looks and he goes, and he's got to run back and get one. And he's got this. And, and this went on for what? Five, six, seven minutes. And finally, he's got them all going. But that guy had to pay close attention to every single one of those plates. Now, that's how we live. Well, we got finances, we got kids, we got this, we got career, we got, you know, that, that, we got plates going everywhere. <clears throat> we can get so busy that we forget, and here's where we get stupid, and the enemy wants us stupid. We forget to pay attention to the two most important things. Number one, pay attention to your life. Pay attention to who you are, to what you think, to what you do, to what you say. Timothy, pay attention to your life. And then secondly, pay attention to what you believe. He's a teacher, so Paul says to him, pay attention to what you teach. Well, you've got to teach what you believe. Uh, pay attention to your doctrine. Doctrine what, what, what you believe about what the Scripture says, what the scriptures say is, is absolutely critical. So you pay attention to your life, and you pay attention to what you believe. Interestingly enough, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, same, 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 same chapter, here, here would be an example of why young Timothy should pay attention to his life and to what he believes. Paul says to him, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Now catch this. Paying attention. Paying attention to what? To deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Stuff that's not true. Stuff that's false. Uh, stuff that does not meet the plumb line of the Word of God. Uh, some are going to fall away, paying attention to what is false. Number two, verse two, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now, what he's getting into in, in verses two and three, how do these people fall into false doctrines? By listening to false teachers, these teachers do not watch their own lives. And they do not watch what they teach. So, oh, and by the way, these men, these false teachers, did you catch that in verse 2? They're hypocrites. He says, the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So how do you watch your life? One of the ways we watch our lives is by watching our conscience. These, these guys that screwed up, they didn't watch their conscience. Um, flip back to 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. Paul says, but the goal of our instruction, that's a pretty important verse. So what's the goal of all this, Paul? 
What are we trying to achieve here? What's the point? He says, well, the goal of our instruction, now catch this, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. One of the ways that we watch our lives is by watching our consciences. And we're going to touch on this later. But the reason, and I, I don't mean later tonight, I mean in, in weeks to come. But this is where, as we walk through life and we walk with Christ, one of the ways that the Lord keeps us from stupid is by working in our conscience. You've heard the phrase, let conscience be your guide. Well, you've got to be careful of that. You've got to let the Word of God be your guide. Our consciences can get seared. Our, our consciences can get turned. Our consciences can get hardened. What we want to do is keep a tender conscience. And you keep a tender conscience by keeping yourself in the Word of God and obedient to the Spirit of God. So when the Spirit of God, when, when, you're, when you're, um, you fly off or say something uh, really pointed and sharp to your wife or cutting her down, and the Spirit of God, you ever have him just flick you? Just flick that nerve, conscience? And you think, man, I shouldn't have said that. Well, all right, so you shouldn't have said it. So what do you do about it? Do you say, sweetheart, you know what? I'm sorry, that was just absolutely out of line. That was uncalled for. Or do you ignore it? See, that's how you develop the kind of conscience you don't want. But when you listen to the Spirit of God, and he flicks that conscience, and you do what you're supposed to do, and tell her you're wrong, especially... And if your kids are around, you got to do that. Because you don't want to turn them away from the Lord by being a hypocrite in your house. See, that's watching over your life, isn't it? It's pretty critical stuff. Watch over your life. Watch over what you believe. So we're going to keep coming back to this in the fall. Tonight, I want to go to a snapshot that is in the book of Matthew. Uh, really doesn't have anything to do with conscience, but it does have to do with a lapse uh, in a man's life who had a great heart. In Matthew chapter 14, we're in verse 22 tonight. Here is a chapter that uh, you're probably very familiar with, contains some uh, uh, miraculous events that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you, you, you're more than aware of these events. In, in chapter 14, verse 22, we're going to focus from 22 on down to 33. And it says this, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Now, this is speaking of Jesus, obviously. And something has just occurred. What has just occurred is that Jesus has done a great miracle. Uh, what Jesus has done, if you back up to verse 13, you will see the events that are described to us that we know as the feeding of the 5,000. Remarkable miracle. Huge crowd of people. Uh, they, 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 you know, they just got, some, they got a, a few fish and they got some loaves and and so what the Lord does is the Lord multiplies this. This was a miracle of nature, a phenomenal, phenomenal 
miracle. Others, uh, others did miracles. The apostles did miracles, but not miracles of nature like this. This is a remarkable miracle. So he took food and he just, it just, he would, he would pull the bread off and pull the bread and just kept, it just, you know, he had enough for five and he fed 5,000. So, so that is what has happened. So then you get to 22, he's just fed the 5,000, and then it says this, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So this occurred probably up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he said, all right, guys, you get in the boat, head over on the other side. So they took off. And then it says, then he sent the crowds away. The crowds were everywhere. He sent them away. Why did he send them away? Verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land. So you got the disciples. They're out in the boat, and they're pretty good. You know, They're out there. They're rowing. They're heading to the other side. The boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. What that means is there was a storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee can be still and quiet one minute, and a storm will come up the next. Because of the lay of the land, because of the topography, uh, if you ever have a chance to visit, it would be a, a great experience. But the winds come over from the east, from Iraq, and then into Syria, and down the Golan Heights. And it's a, those Golan Heights, they're mountains, and they just drop straight down, 2,000, 3,000 feet. And then you got the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, I think at one point is probably, I, I, I didn't check this out, but probably seven, eight, nine miles wide at a certain point. Um, so to the west, if, if you were on the west side of the Sea of Galilee and you kept going west, you'd only be about 25, 35 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. So you got the winds coming from the east. They swoop down. The winds coming from the Mediterranean, they come in just about 30 miles away, and they mix, and it's like a big mix master. So you get all these, you, uh, you, you got all these storms that come up. And I mean, they come up fast, and they come up quick. So that's what's happening. These guys take off, and, and they're in a storm. Now, no big deal. These guys have been around this water all their lives, so they're in this storm. But something's going to happen in this storm that is very, very unique. And in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he, meaning Jesus, came to them, walking on the sea. And I just picture this. You're just trying to get to the other side. There's a storm, you're having to really fight it, you know, it's just wind, waves, you know. And I like the way this is described, 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. He said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now here goes Peter. <laughs> I tell you, Peter was always the first to talk. And Peter was always the first to act. He's Peter. We, we don't mean to always be um, hitting on Peter and holding him up as... Um, 
a guy who made a lot of mistakes, but he was a guy who made a lot of mistakes. It, it, it's just, it was his personality. So here's what happens. <coughs> Peter said to him, Lord, actually he didn't say it that way. It's a storm. And the wind is howling and the waves are, he goes, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. You've got a situation here of stupid. And the situation revolves around Peter's faith. Now, again, I want to say this. I'm not taking shots at Peter. I'm not standing over Peter. Uh, I I am not uh, uh, critiquing this guy because uh, I have been there and I have done this. Um, And and you have too. This is a snapshot out of a guy that had a good heart. He had a great heart, but he's human. And you know what? We're human. We're going to err, and we're going to, and and we're going to do dumb things, and we're going to kick ourselves later. And I'm telling you, this guy was kicking himself later. Uh, I, I think there's a reason that so many guys feel, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, like Peter's a kindred spirit, because he's he, the the guys. He's very real. He's very authentic. I mean, Peter was a man's man. Uh, but what I want to do in here, I want, to, I, want to, I want to look at the facts of this account. Because I think we can learn some things. Because what happened to Peter? What happened to Peter here? He, he got stupid because he forgot some things that he knew very, very well. Now, this is what happens to us as we go through life and we're trying to spin the plates and we're trying to keep everything going. What happens is we, we forget to watch over ourselves and what we believe. So let me lay out some facts to you. In fact, I'm going to give you six facts tonight about this story and see if those, these don't resonate with you and uh, what you're experiencing as you're going through life. And let's see if we can't learn from this guy and let's see if we can't benefit from what happened to Peter. Um, fact number one, the storm was already raging when Jesus appeared. I'll say it again. The storm was already raging when Jesus appeared. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, and you saw it. It was very clear. They're a far distance from land, and it, it tells us in, in verse 24, they were battered by the waves, and the wind was contrary. It was a storm. They were having to struggle as they rowed and as they were attempting to get that boat across. It was not an easy glide across. So they were in a storm. Now, the reason I bring this up, and, and, and I need to say this to you guys. Uh, my, my thoughts around this tonight really don't come from me. 
But Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great, great theologian and a great pastor. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London, died in 1981. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor before he became a pastor. He was such a remarkable young medical student that he had been picked to be the next physician to the Queen of England. He turned that down because he felt like God was calling him to become a pastor. Uh, he was an extraordinarily gifted man. One of the um, uh, things I appreciate about him, his books uh, basically are compilations of his sermons that he preached at Westminster Chapel. Uh, he did a series of sermons at Westminster Chapel that had an interesting beginning. One morning he was, uh, he was shaving. And as he was shaving, he was thinking about the whole issue of depression and apparently had just been dealing with somebody that was struggling with depression. And he was shaving. He was just thinking about depression. And suddenly, as he was shaving, an outline, if you will, came to him of the different way that Satan attempts to attack Christians and put them into depression. And without wiping the, fa the, 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 the cream off his face, he grabbed a pencil and a piece of paper and he started writing. And he wrote down the outline for, I think, uh, 15 sermons that were compiled in a book called Spiritual Depression. One of the finest books I've ever read. Uh, he has a he has in that book, he has a uh, sermon called Looking at the Waves. And it's, it's on this passage. Uh, I first read that 25 years ago. I have probably read that sermon conservatively 50 times. So if in a few weeks you're picking up a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones and you're reading it and you go, huh, huh. You know, I just heard Steve Farrar teach this stuff. Well, you should know that tonight I'm stealing his stuff. <laughs> so in a few weeks, you won't think, Steve stole this from him? I'm telling you up front I stole it from him. <laughs> this is not my stuff. Primarily, my comments tonight come from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, I just wanted to give him credit because his ability to discern some things in this passage made a real impact on my life. I'll tell you something else. I had something else prepared for tonight. And last night, uh, I was out walking, and I was just working through some things and thinking about things. And in my own life, I was, I was just sorting through some things, and I said to myself as I'm walking, I said, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking at the waves. I'm looking at the waves. And that prompted me to go back and pull out that book. And I reread it, and then I reread it this morning. And I thought to myself, you know what? What I'd prepared for tonight, we'll do down the road. I think a lot of us are at this point. So what's the fact? There was a storm. The, the storm was there before Jesus showed up. Now, there was another account that happened in Scripture where they were going across, Jesus was in the boat with them, and Jesus was so exhausted that what did Jesus do? He went to sleep. When Jesus went to sleep and when they got into the boat, there was no storm, everything was calm, and then a storm came up. That's different than this deal. They're in the boat and there's a storm and then Jesus appears. So there's a point here, and, and the point is this. 
really when Peter got himself uh, into trouble and when he got himself into difficulty, really nothing had changed at all. The storm was there before he got himself in trouble and had to call out to the Lord. Uh, the, what, what I'm saying is sometimes we're going through life and, and, and life is not peachy keen. Uh, life is difficult and life is hard and we're dealing with different things. But what can happen to us is we can get thrown off very easily when in actuality nothing new has happened. We, we, can, get, we can get waylaid. And what happens is we get our focus in the wrong place. And let me go to fact number two. Fact number two. When Jesus appeared, Peter was the first to speak and the only one to take the risk. <clears throat> All the disciples are in the boat. So there's a storm, you know, it's just blowing and galing and all this. And then they look out there, and they're all afraid because they think it's a ghost, and then they find out it's Jesus. He says, hey, guys, don't sweat. It's just me. And they're all in shock, and they're all in awe. Now, the first guy to speak and the first guy to take action is Peter. That was pretty, that, that happened a lot in Scripture, didn't it? So much of that, so much of that is because of our temperaments and because of our personalities. You know, we're all wired differently, aren't we? When you read Psalm 139, it, it, it talks about how God formed us and fashioned us in our mother's womb. If, if you're real outgoing, if you're a people person, it's because God made you that way when you were in your mother's womb. If you're more quiet, and if you like to be to yourself and um, not be in crowds of people, well, God formed you and fashioned you. He, he made you that way. Uh, if you're a risk taker, you know why you're a risk taker? Because when God formed you and fashioned you, he made you that way. Other guys aren't risk takers. Other guys don't like that. It bothers them. And, and they're very, very careful when it comes to risk. And, and what's usually a good idea is to get a risk taker with a guy who is careful about risk. Because then you get a balance. Uh, Peter was a risk taker. Peter was an entrepreneur. Uh, Peter would have great plans to start a company with $3 in the bank kind of guy. He's just going to go do it. That was Peter. So it was his personality. It was how he was wired. He, was, uh, he had a great heart, but sometimes his heart got ahead of his head. Sometimes he would, uh, he would put his mouth in action before he would put his mind in action. Best of intentions, but the guy tended to be impulsive. And that's why we're always reading about events in Scripture, you know, about Peter, because he was, that just, it was him. That's how he was wired. Now, the other guys are in the boat. They're not saying anything. So they see it's Jesus. Now, what happens here? Peter steps out. He said, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you. All right? And what does he do? He steps, and Jesus says, come on. So here, what does Peter do? Peter is walking on water. Now, let's give him that. He had the guts to step out. He was a risk taker. He would do what the other guys wouldn't do. I mean, b before we talk about his mistake, let's give him credit. He stepped out. He was willing to do what the other guys... And by the way, he stepped out and he's walking on water. None of the other guys said, hey, let's go. That didn't happen. They're still in the boat. He walks out there. And why did he walk out there? Because he was a risk taker. 
because he was a leader, because um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says Peter was the kind of guy who was always the first to volunteer. That's a great description of him. Now, we know what's going to happen to him. He's going to have a problem here in just a matter of seconds. Um, Here's something that we should know. None of us, uh, none of us want to go down. Yeah, I, I, I did a book in 1995 called Finishing Strong. And I wrote that book for me. Because the men that had, had a real impact on my life when I was in my 20s, uh, those guys wound up really messing up their lives. And they were great teachers and had an influence on me. And I, I, I had great respect for these men. But they didn't watch their life. They watched their teaching. Their teaching was impeccable. But they didn't watch their lives. And they went down. And, and, that, and that grieved me, and it worried me, and it scared me. So I, I, I did a study on, in, in the Scripture because, you see, the name of the game is we want to we wanna finish strong. We just don't want to start strong. We want to finish strong. So... Um, you know, I, I want to finish strong in my faith. I want to finish strong in my integrity. I want to finish strong uh, with, with my wife. I want to finish strong as a father. doesn't mean we're perfect there. I just want to finish strong. Well, well, how do you finish strong? You finish strong by watching your life and by watching what you believe. That's how you do it. Interesting enough, interestingly enough, the guys that impacted me and influenced me, they believed the right things. They just, they just lived contrary to what they believed. And they'd look you in the eye and just lie. They'd just flat out lie. They'd teach on marriage and sexual purity while they were sleeping with other women. I, I just, I, you know. So here's the deal. We all, we all have strengths and we all, all have weaknesses. You know what's interesting, guys? We all tend to fail at our strongest point. Not where we're weak. We tend to go down where we're strong. So guys who are aggressive and guys who are risk takers, you know what? That's where they tend to go down. Uh, guys who, I, I think you understand. See, you, you've heard it. Your, 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 your strength can become your greatest weakness. So, because we all have inclinations, and we, we all have bents, and we've got we've to watch ourselves. Do you ever worry about yourself? Do you ever scare yourself? You know, I, I'll tell you what, I scare me to death. No, I, I, I do. My, my greatest problem is me. My, my uh, you, you know, historically, you know what my biggest problem is? I get ahead of the Lord. I get a plan, and I, I hey, you know what? Oh, man, that's great. I mean, I, Let's kick this thing in the gear. This is great. I mean, God's all over this. Well, I got to make sure he's all over it. Because my tendency is to move, my tendency is to move too quickly. So I've always got to watch that. And um, it's just a tendency I have. <laughs> yeah, I'll just tell you something weird. Um, 
I don't know how many times this has happened to me over the last several years, but I've been eating something, and all of a sudden, I'll almost choke. You know why I almost choke? Because I'm eating too fast, and I don't chew up my food before I swallow it. So, and about three months ago, I really had, it really scared me, to tell you the truth, and it scared everybody at the table. And my son John, who's in paramedic school, was about ready to cut open my esophagus and pull out this piece of meat. And uh, I stopped him just before he brought the knife to my throat. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. And you know what I've been doing ever since then? When I cut, and it happens once a meal, I'll sit down and I consciously say to myself, eat slow. Eat slow. Because I don't want to do that to myself. But if I don't watch it, I've been doing it for so long. Uh, and, and I have to conscious. It, it's, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. Everyone's gone from the table, and I'm still eating because I'm trying to stay alive. <laughs> but I'm trying to watch myself. That's, see, that's in the physical realm. It's true in the, it's true in the spiritual realm. Okay, let me give you the next fact. Okay, but you see, we tend to go down. We tend to go down in our strongest point. Peter is going to fail here in his strongest point because he went out and did what nobody else would do. What's the next fact? Fact three. Fact three is he started strong, but he didn't finish strong. It's just very simple. He said, Lord, tell me to come out with you, and he did. And this guy's walking on water. But a problem develops. Uh, that takes me to fact four. In seconds, he went from great faith to little faith. I'll say it one more time. In seconds, he went from great faith to little faith. There's Jesus out in the water, walking across the sea, storm in the water, and and Jesus is walking. And Peter says, Lord, tell me to come out there. Jesus says, come on. And that sucker gets out of the boat, and he's just doing it. He's just strutting. This is unbelievable. That takes great faith. The guys in the boat don't have great faith. They're not going out there. Peter has a tremendous faith. He's humming. He's doing what nobody else in the history of the world has ever done, except Jesus, because he had the faith to do it. So then what happened? Well, let's look at the text. 29, Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, here we go, 30. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. When it says seeing the wind, you can't see wind. You can only see the effects of wind. Uh, So we see the wind as it goes through the trees. We see the wind as it goes through the, the sea and churns up the waves. He was doing fine. He had a great faith. He's walking right towards the Lord. He's walking on water. And then what happens is he diverts his attention. And as soon as he diverted his attention, he starts looking around at his circumstances. And what happened to him was when he started looking at what was around him and what was threatening him and what had the potential to bring him down, he went down. 
what he started doing was he started looking at the waves. Now, now, again, you know what's interesting about this? The waves weren't new. The waves had been there the whole time. He was in the boat with the other guys rowing, and the waves are there in the storm. And, here, and he, he's okay. He's not depressed. He's not afraid. He's not nervous. He's, a, he's just rowing. They're rowing across. But now he's out there on the water. Nothing's really changed except he's walking on water. But the circumstances haven't changed. And he starts looking at the waves, and that which didn't bother him just minutes before suddenly terrified him. Now, that's what happens to us as we go through life. We're on a course, and then what happens is we start looking around at what we are facing and what potentially could take us out or what could uh, do damage to us or what could do harm to us, and what happens is our faith drops, and we become terrified, and we become afraid, and we become panicked. Um, you check into any hotel that's more than one story, and you shut the door, and on the back of the door are going to be instructions on what to do in case of fire, and probably the first thing it's going to say is, in case of fire, what? Don't panic. Don't panic. See, when we panic, what happens when we panic? And this is what happened to Peter. He looked around. He looked at the wind. He looked at the waves. He thought, what the heck am I doing out here? This is nuts. And he began to panic. He got fearful, and he began to sink. Jesus makes it real clear that the problem that occurred with him in verse 31, he's going down. He cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and he said to him, you have little, you have what? You have little faith. Why did you catch this? Doubt. See, here's what happens, guys. We're going through life. We're, you know, nothing's perfect, but we're doing all right. And then something will happen that'll throw us off. And we'll start looking at, well, wait a minute. And you hadn't thought about this. It's not a new circumstance. It's been there. But you start looking at it, you go, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. What if this? Well, what if this were to happen? Or, or then you look over at this other way. Or, or what? Well, 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 what if that happened? And then there's that one. What? What if? You, you get what I'm saying? Sometimes we start looking at stuff that we've been fine with, but what happens is we lose our perspective. And, and, and again, nothing is new. It's been there the whole time, but it throws us off. And what happens is our faith is reduced. Now, let me make just. This is all under fact. This is all under fact four. He went from great faith to little faith. Let me point out several things. The first thing I'd point out is Jesus said his faith was little, and seconds before his faith had been great. All right, the question is how did his faith get from great to little? All right, here's how it happened he failed to apply his faith. That's how it happened. Faith has got to be applied. Uh, you can go down and buy the greatest car wax in the world. I mean, it's, it's just top of the line. But there's something you've got to do with that wax. You've got to apply it. You ever apply it, nothing's going to happen. Faith has to be applied. Faith is not... Uh, 
And you, and you, know, what, you, know, you know what's interesting to me? Again, think of the circumstances here. He, he's just walking on the water. That is unbelievable. His faith's off the charts. All right, think about what happened just hours earlier. He'd been on the land up there with the 5,000 and Jesus. And, and what, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking fish and he's taking bread. And, you know, that, that should have been all gone. And it just, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Now, on a scale, when they're on the, on the mountain and Jesus is feeding the, the 5,000 with enough food to last five, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, where was Peter's faith? It was about a 10, about 11, about 12. He's off the charts. He had great faith. When he's walking on the water, what's his faith chart? Well, he's about a 10, 11, 12, 13 on a scale of 10. He's cruising. But then he gets, he gets his eyes off of Jesus and starts looking around at what potentially could harm him and take him down. And his faith dropped like a piece of lead. That's what happens to us. Um, he didn't apply the faith. Um, C.H. Spurgeon wrote a little devotional called Faith's Checkbook. It's a series of daily devotionals. They're just real short. You know, there's January 25, and, it's, and there's a promise of God, and then he makes a little commentary on it, one for each day. I was looking at this the other night, and uh, faith checkbook, here's how he introduces it. A promise from God may very instructively be compared to a check payable to order. It is given to the believer with the view of bestowing upon him some good thing. It is not meant that he should read it over comfortably and then have done with it. No, he is to treat the promise as a reality as a man treats a check. He is to take the promise. You know, there are promises in the scripture. Sometimes you ever feel abandoned by God? You ever feel alone? What do you need to do? You need to take a promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You hold on to the promise. You worried about how you're going to make it financially? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You hold on to a promise. He is to take the promise and endorse it with his own name by personally receiving it as true. He is by faith to accept it as his own. He sets to his seal that God is true and true as to this particular word of promise. He goes further and believes that he has the blessing in having the sure promise of it. And therefore, he puts his name to it to testify to the receipt of the blessing. And then he goes on and says, basically, a promise from God is like getting a check from God. And what you do is you take the check, the promise of God, and you sign your name to it, and then you go present it at the bank, and if you do it on the date that's on the check, you'll receive the promise. If it's not, if, if it's not the right date, you've got to wait for the promise. But you hold on to the promise and the promise is as good as a check. So that's why he wrote this book, and it's to encourage people. But then he says this. This is what I want you to catch. I commenced writing these daily portions when I was wading in the surf of controversy. There was a time in Spurgeon's life where he stood against most of the pastors in England because they were starting to um, waver on the gospel. And he stood against them. Many of them were his close personal friends, and it was a grievous time in his life. This is what he's referring to. I commenced writing these daily portions when I was wading in the surf of controversy. Since then, I have been cast into waters to swim in, which, 
but for God's upholding hand would approve waters to drown in. I have endured tribulation from many flails. Sharp bodily pain succeeded mental depression. And this was accompanied both by bereavement and affliction in the person of one dearest life. One of his closest friends died during this time. A person he would have confided in, would have encouraged him. The waters rolled in continually, wave upon wave. I do not mention this to exact sympathy, but simply to let the reader see that I am no dry land sailor. I really like that. You know what this guy's doing? He's saying, hey, folks, I've been there. I'm not just writing this as a, as a mental exercise. I, 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 I've been right where Peter is. I've had those waves crashing in around me, and I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Then he says this, I have traversed many a time those oceans which are not Pacific. I know the roll of the billows and the rush of the winds. Never were the promises of Jehovah so precious to me as at this hour. Some of them, some of what? Some of the promises I never understood till now. I had not reached the date at which they matured, for I was not myself mature enough to perceive their meaning. Now catch this. This guy's in his late 50s. He's going to die in a few short years. He says this, How much more wonderful is the Bible to me now than it was a few months ago. Isn't that interesting? This guy's a giant. He's a giant of the faith. But you know what he's saying? He said, I had to take those promises, and what I had to do was those promises which give me faith that God's going to come through, I had to apply those promises. Peter had faith. He just didn't apply his faith. Remember what it says in James? It says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that, was this a trial for Peter? All of a sudden, he's in a trial. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Hey, let me ask you something. What does it take to finish strong? It takes endurance. So you know how God develops endurance in our lives? He takes us through storms that scare us to death and have the potential to take us down. But what happens is when we go through these storms, the reason we're going through the storms, guys, catch this. The reason that he takes us through the storms is that he is testing our faith. I've said this before in here, but it fits. Uh, there are two kinds of tests when you're in school. There's the premeditated test. Walk into a college class, they give you a syllabus, they give you the date of the midterm and the date of the final. You know about it weeks in advance. It's premeditated. There's another kind of test. It's been a great weekend. You've been out with your friends. You've had a great time. You walk into class. It's a beautiful day, 11 o'clock. It's an early class for you. You're a college student. You're looking around. You don't want to be in class. The professor walks in. He says, I want you to put away your books. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Oh, gosh. What's going to happen? Pop quiz. I remember praying, Lord, bring to my mind things I've never read. What's the professor want to know? He wants to know, where is my knowledge? 
You know, in that other instance when Jesus was in the boat with those guys and Jesus was asleep and the storm came up while he was sleeping? And they panicked. They panicked. They thought they were going to die. And they shook Jesus and they said, Lord, Lord. They got him up in the winds. Oh, you know, These guys thought they were going down. And they wake Jesus up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? No, what's the answer to that? If they hadn't have been panicked. Of course he cares. But they're panicked. Don't you know what's happening here? Wait, wait, this is out of control. Don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus, what did Jesus do? He spoke to the storm. And it was instantaneously calm. See, they were afraid of the storm. And in that minute, the source of their fear changed. The object of their fear changed. They were afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of him. Who is this? What's the Son of God? And then you know what Jesus said to those guys? He calls the storm and he looks at him and he said to them, He said, Where is your faith? Well, shoot, it was here a few minutes ago. <laughs> I must have left it over there on the mountainside when you fed the 5,000. See, this is what the Lord's always doing to us. He puts us in situations that scare the crud out of us, and He's saying, Hey, Where's your faith? Because what he wants us to do, hey, guys, this isn't easy. What he's trying to do is, is to mature us and say, where's your faith? Where, where's your faith? See, we love Bible studies. You go to Stonebriar Church, you love the Bible. You love hearing Chuck, you're in groups, you're doing all that, you know, Bible studies, Bible. But see, it's just not getting knowledge, guys. You've got to apply so when you're in your tough circumstance and you're not sure if you're going to make it, you're not sure if your business, you got a kid that's away from the Lord, you got to, what do you do? You take the promises and you say, Jesus, help me here not to panic. Help me not to panic. Help, help me to think straight, Lord. Help me. You, you have helped me a hundred thousand times. Why would you stop now? Why would you quit being faithful? So you hold up the, you get the promises and, and, and you apply them to your faith. In, in, instead of letting them worry. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, gosh. So, sometimes we just get nailed. I mean, I don't know if you do, but I do sometimes. There are times I just get nailed. And you know what I'm saying? I get mad at myself because I doubt. And I, I really do. I get just... Uh, I think, why, why am I doubting? Why don't I trust him? What is my problem? Well, we'll see, we're trying. You know what? You've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work within you. Let me give you some good news here. Even when your faith is little, Jesus is great. Look what happens. Seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus stretched out his hand. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and rescued him. Fact five is this. You may get wet, but you will not drown. You won't. In, in the little book of Jude in the New Testament, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. You might get wet. You might swallow a little water, but you're not going to drown. Even when your faith is little, you call, you call out on Jesus, 
Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. We always think of that in terms of eternal life, but there's more than one way he saves us. Here's, here's another one, fact six. This is my last one. Your storm, like Peter's storm, will come to an end. Did you see in verse 32? Jesus rescues him, and catch this. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. The storms that we're in, they don't last forever. It's amazing. They got into the boat, and it doesn't say Jesus spoke or Jesus commanded. He got into the boat, and it was over. Why? Because the lesson was over. See, we're in these storms that threaten us. Here's the thing about storms. I'm going down. Lord, if you don't come through for me, I'm going down. You know what? You're not going down. Because you know the one who is in charge of the storms. You know the one. And this one, the storms obey him. The wind obeys him. He's in absolute control. You guys, uh, some of you were raised in church. Do you know that great hymn of the church? Jesus, I am panicking, panicking. <laughs> you probably don't know that one, but maybe you know this hymn. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me to gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me all. As we finish here, I want to ask you a question. And maybe this doesn't apply to everybody in here, but for some of you guys it does. Here's my question to you. What are the immediate waves in your life right now that could take you down? What are the waves that are worrying you? What are the waves that are panicking you? You know what we need as we look at those waves? We need to look at Jesus and ask him to give us a great faith in him that he'll walk us through the storm. And he will. So Father, we bow before you. We have nowhere else to go except to Jesus. And some of us are doing well and, and life is pretty good right now and other guys are in the storm and uh, have, have really been nailed. And something new has come up that threatens them, maybe threatens their wife or one of their kids. It, it's very real. It, it's very threatening. There's, there's no getting around it. So, Lord Jesus, would you increase our faith? Help us to trust in who you are and that you will fulfill your promise and that you will make a way. We won't drown. We believe that in Jesus' name. Amen.